0: Pandemic 2020. It's no longer business as usual, as effects of COVID-19, the new coronavirus, ripple throughout all industries and the global economy. Welcome back to Insurance Uncovered. I'm Kathy Imus, and on today's special edition of NAMIC's podcast, we're uncovering the latest on coronavirus and its unprecedented financial and societal disruption plus the evolving legislative and regulatory activities surrounding the coronavirus and its implications for the insurance industry. And we're talking with Jen Ree's Vice President and Chief Medical Director, Dr. Thomas Ashley, about how the nation's expansive mitigation efforts will save lives. This week marks another milestone in the global battle to outwit the new coronavirus as reported infections in the rest of the world overtake those in China. Millions of people in the United States and Europe are sequestering themselves at home amid rapid-fire border closures announced by one nation after the other. Among the moves to stifle the virus's spread, the U.S. has declared a national emergency, issuing a government response package that offers free COVID-19 testing boosts food aid programs to needy families and seniors, and provides $1 billion in grant funding to states in order to extend unemployment insurance. The Federal Reserve has reduced its rates to zero and will purchase $700 billion in bonds and security. Meanwhile, the latest guidance from the Trump administration and the CDC recommends against gatherings of 10 or more people for a minimum of 15 days. Major sporting events and concerts have been postponed for the foreseeable future and multiple states have limited restaurants and bars to takeout services only. In these uncertain times, legislators and regulators are rapidly adopting policies and considerations that directly impact NAMIC members and their policyholders. Several states, such as New Hampshire, have temporarily adjourned to observe the social distancing strategy while others, such as Georgia, have indefinitely suspended their legislative session. A bill in New Jersey attempting to extend coverage of the COVID-19 impact beyond what's in policy contracts has been defeated in the assembly. The legislation would have mandated insurance coverage for business interruption, including global virus transmission or pandemic. Namek Regional Vice President Chris Stark submitted testimony to the New Jersey legislature this week arguing that's not what the policies were designed to do. He shared with us by phone why defeating this bill was such an important win for the industry.
1: This legislation could have had dangerous implications for insurance companies in that it would have required insurance companies to cover a loss that was never anticipated nor a loss for which any insurance company collected premiums. Typically, especially with business interruption insurance, That loss is triggered by some sort of physical damage or physical loss. Without such a standard, it would make these claims almost impossible or at least very difficult to adjust. That adjustment time will also have implications for New Jersey's small businesses if this legislation would have passed. And that is because the small business administration loans that were recently announced by the federal government prevent double dipping which means that small businesses have to show that they don't have any other coverage for these losses including insurance coverage potentially this bill would have forced many of new jersey's small businesses to the back of the line for claims which still may not have ever been able to be realized by the small businesses this would have created an absolute nightmare for New Jersey's consumers, our policyholders, as well as the implications for insurance companies to have passed legislation that is likely unconstitutional in how it would violate the terms of contracts for insurance companies.
0: Nemic state affairs team is monitoring other states closely to see whether other bad public policy situations emerge in a misguided attempt to address COVID-19 impacts. The team is also working with policymakers and members to assist our communities throughout the COVID-19 state of emergency. There's a lot happening on the compliance front as well. And on the line with me now to tell us about that is NAMIC's Associate General Counsel, Jeff Baker.
2: Hi, Kathy. Thank you for uh, letting me speak a little bit about this. Uh, What we are starting to see, and this started about two weeks ago, uh, regulators initially started to focus on health insurance for obvious reasons and releasing a lot of uh, public guidance and then regulatory mandates related to health insurance. Beginning this past week, uh, regulators started to shift a little bit of their focus um, towards property casualty lines of business. Um, and and what they started to do was you had some uh, insurers or excuse me regulators like New York and Delaware issuing data calls asking for specific information about insurers book books of business on business interruption and travel insurance um, you have New York and West Virginia that have released uh, requests for information on insurers business continuity plans and uh, financial risk management related to virus um, there has also been uh, Uh, Some guidance, uh, more proactive guidance from regulators uh, regarding certain deadlines. Uh, Wisconsin, the OCI in Wisconsin, issued a bulletin uh, about corporate governance procedures, about uh, board meetings and things like that, and the ability to hold those virtually. Uh, West Virginia issued a bulletin telling insurers that they were going to relax statutory claim deadlines so we're starting to see some of those things that are coming out that, that, are helpful to insurers understand what they need to do from a compliance perspective. Uh, and we're also now starting to see departments releasing information about their own continuity plans. Uh, Michigan's posted a, a message on uh surf telling filers that, Hey, you know, you can still get in touch with us. We're going to scale back our operations, but we'll still be here. Uh, the Texas, the division of workers compensation in Texas, uh, Release some information saying these are the things that we're still going to have open. Uh, you know, when you drop things off, we're going to have it behind a wall, things like that. So, um, you know, primarily we're, 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 they're starting to dip their toes more into PNC, but I would say that I'm not, I will not be surprised to see more regulators issuing the, let's call it the New York and West Virginia style business continuity and financial risk plan requests. Uh, some states have set up websites. about 14 have uh, pages, you know insurance regulators have pages uh, on their website specifically de- dedicated to the virus. So uh, I, I think really right now, regulators are just trying to get their their hands around um, what what insurers have written out there. And almost more importantly, how are insurers going to keep operations going and protect their financial uh, uh, side? Um, as this uh, situation develops.
0: Thanks, Jeff. And as the situation does continue to develop, uh, what advice would you have for NAMIC members to keep abreast of all the changes that are happening? Where can they find more information?
2: I'd say there's three primarily, three primary uh, methods via NAMIC. Uh, we have our, obviously, the, the COVID-19 resource page, Uh, I would strongly encourage members to subscribe to the Legal and Compliance Discussion Forum. Uh, That's been the quickest way for me to get information out to members as things are developing quickly. Uh, And then there's there's also the compliance alerts. Um, Also in the Resource Center, um, we will have those links to the insurance department pages. And and I would say monitoring those sources are going to be some of the best ways to keep abreast of uh, breaking news.
0: Thank you, Jeff. We appreciate your time. Thank you. In Washington, the Trump administration is focusing its attention on working with the private industry to build up testing capabilities and limit the spread of disease. Estimates are that 1.9 million additional COVID-19 tests will soon be available, along with 2,000 new testing labs across the country. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamniss talks with Jen Rhee's Vice President and Chief Medical Director, Dr. Thomas Ashley, about how the nation's expansive mitigation efforts will save lives.
3: Today on Insurance Unscripted, we're discussing a very timely issue, the global coronavirus pandemic and its implications for the insurance industry and beyond. Uh, This began last week. I was with Kira Reguel, the CEO of Jen Rhee, and she mentioned that as we were considering canceling our CO uh, roundtables. She made uh, Dr. Thomas Ashley, the medical director, Jenry's vice president and chief medical director, available for us to uh, consult on that. We turned out not needing to uh, talk with Dr. Ashley about that, but we have other things to talk about today as the pandemic has progressed and we're seeing quite a bit of um, uh, impact on uh, all aspects of life today. So. Uh, Tom, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you very much, Chuck. I'm happy to be here.
3: So let's start with kind of your background. Um, You're medical director uh, for Genry. How did you get to that stage? And tell us a little about your background prior to Genry.
4: Sure. Uh, Like a lot of uh, insurance medical directors, um, this wasn't the reason that uh, I went to medical school. Uh, I practiced uh, general internal medicine and geriatrics for 15 years, and during that time, uh, I, one of my patients was uh, head of underwriting at uh, Lincoln Benefit Life in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he asked me if I would like to do some consulting. They, they needed a few hours a week of uh, medical director work. Uh, I really enjoyed the work. I liked working with the underwriters. I did not so much like trying to run a um, small group practice and deal with the uh, government and insurers and various other hassles. Uh, and uh, over a few years, that uh, work expanded. Um, I left my clinical work, have been full-time in insurance medicine for 25 years now. And 20 years ago, I uh, had the opportunity to get the job at Re. All
3: right. Well, let's start with uh, where we are today. So it's Monday, March 16th at about 3.30 p.m. Uh, how how serious is this coronavirus uh, now? And uh, how bad is it likely to get?
4: Yeah, those are certainly the big questions. Uh, it's a lot easier to measure how bad is it now. Um, and the... Worldwide, the uh, number of cases is approaching 200,000. Uh, there are now more cases outside of China uh, than, than in China. Uh, when I think about how bad is it now, I think about it in terms of the seasonal influenza, not even looking at uh, previous uh, pandemic influenza, but in comparison to seasonal influenza, Every year in the United States alone, there are millions of cases of uh, influenza and this year the CDC has estimated that the uh, flu season will involve somewhere between 20,000 and 50,000 deaths. Mm. Uh, So right now the uh, COVID-19 pandemic is a lot less severe and less serious than, uh, than uh, seasonal influenza. Hmm. How bad could it get? Uh, that's what everybody uh, wonders. Uh, I, there are projections of uh, hundreds of millions of cases. Um, and while that's possible, it is extremely speculative. Um, it's, a, it's a new entity Uh, There is no effective treatment for it. There is no vaccine available for it. Uh, Well, I should say there's no effective specific treatment. There's supportive care and uh, getting people through uh, uh, a respiratory crisis without depending on uh, antiviral therapy uh, is the treatment we have available. Um, I, I really think that anybody who pretends to know how severe this is going to be compared to how bad could it be uh, is um, uh, overstating the knowledge.
3: Got it. Well, in our industry, as I already mentioned, NAMIC CO roundtables, uh, NEIC meeting, obviously all meetings for the next eight weeks anyway are canceled. And we're an industry with a lot of meetings. Also, though, Today we see schools, businesses, government even closing. Uh, it is dramatic, uh, but it's also something you know medical professionals have assured us is really common sense. Can you give us a sense of why these measures are so important and, and really what this uh, inconvenience uh, or this disruption you know is is accomplishing?
4: Sure, uh, what we're doing is uh, known as social distancing. And the basis for that uh, is uh, research that happened decades ago, looking at the history of the 1918 influenza pandemic. Uh, there, During that uh, pandemic, uh, there was a lot of variation from place to place in how authorities and uh, public health uh, officials responded. Uh, one of the uh, um, one of the pieces uh, that I've seen cited frequently in the last few weeks is a comparison between the uh, infection rate and death rate in Philadelphia versus St. Louis. Uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, there was a huge peak, of uh, uh, very severe outbreak, and in Philadelphia, there was no social distancing. But in St. Louis, where the authorities uh, closed the theaters, um, uh, closed the schools, uh, uh, recommended against uh, large gatherings, the magnitude of the outbreak was much, much smaller. It lasted longer. And what this is uh, now referred to as flattening the curve, Uh, if we can uh, slow down the rate of transmission of this disease, uh, we are much better able to handle taking care of the people who get sick. Uh, If we get a pattern like Philadelphia, there's a huge surge that vastly exceeds the uh, capacity of the healthcare system to take care of the sick people. Uh, so, this social distancing uh, is our approach to uh, managing through a situation that uh, we can't directly treat.
3: And as you mentioned, the 1918 flu, that was the Spanish flu. And that was uh, an extreme pandemic, uh, where I believe something like 500 million people were affected worldwide, and and perhaps 50 million died. So, um, if if the social distancing yeah, seems, that was a
4: much smaller population.
3: Yeah, uh, clear. Uh, clearly, that that would be a factor too. So, what we see now is. Um, Policy makers, government officials, the Trump administration, you know, has declared the national emergency. There's billions of federal funds are being directed, even as we speak. New new deals being cut to uh, fight the outbreak. Uh, but we also see a variety of you know travel limits, cancellations, closures. Um, this is kind of related to your earlier statement about social distancing. But um, do you see these as prudent steps to take? Uh, given where we are today on March 16th?
4: I have been uh, concerned that uh, we are, that these measures are happening prematurely. Uh, We're acting as I think as much or more out of fear as out of risk. Uh, It could be that they turn out to be absolutely essential uh, I think that we might have waited a bit longer to see how this is uh, evolving uh, before creating the massive dislocation and enormous cost that has already occurred.
3: Yeah, we um, we certainly seem to be, uh, I mean, we know the disruption in the economy and the likelihood of recession has increased uh, uh, Probably exponentially since um, just a month ago, but um, these things will have an, an effect on uh, you know our economy and and other factors. But prudent steps are, are necessary to save lives. Uh, if that is where we are, maybe one last question um, to give us some context. Um, I know our NAMIC policy that uh, guides us and. Uh, Our pandemic uh, policy dates back to either H1N1 or SARS, avian flu, one of those. But maybe you can give us a sense of how this compares to some of those more recent, uh, um, you know, um, viruses. The um, MRSA would be another one that uh, we can recall happened uh, fairly recently. And maybe talk a little bit about what you know about the origins of these or uh, other viruses that have uh, a major impact on on people. Sure, Chuck. Um, all of those viruses have
4: uh, something in common in um, animal origin. Uh, influenza uh, is uh, has three participants. There are uh, domestic fowl, uh, you know, ducks, and uh, and and geese and they live close to pigs uh, and the influenza virus can pass uh, between those species and mix and match its uh, uh, component parts uh, and generate some some new components uh, from evolution. And that's why the seasonal flu is different every season. Those uh, um, animal sources uh, allow uh, novel or uh, recurring, changing uh, viruses to uh, to circulate uh, into people. With um, um, uh, COVID-19, it is very closely related to SARS and MRSA. Uh, they're all in the family of coronaviruses, which uh, even includes the viruses that uh, cause colds. Uh, and they all have animal origins. Um, the, um, the MRSA, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome virus, uh, normally lives in camels and the transmission of that virus has been very, very limited. Uh, it's essentially only infected people who have had very close contact with the camels. Uh, SARS, PROBABLY ORIGINATED IN uh, AN ANIMAL CALLED A CIVET, WHICH uh, IS um, A FOOD SOURCE IN CHINA AND MAY HAVE ORIGINATED IN A LIVE ANIMAL MARKETPLACE uh, WHERE PEOPLE HAD CLOSE CONTACT WITH THE CIVET AND IT WAS ABLE TO uh, PASS INTO uh, HUMANS. Uh, THE SARS VIRUS, uh, was more transmissible than the MERS virus, uh, but not nearly as transmissible as this uh, COVID-19 virus. Uh, the COVID-19 virus uh, apparently started in in bats. The normal host is in bats, and again, using eating bats and uh, and uh, Marketing them in these live animal marketplaces is the way that it uh, that it got
3: going. Well, yeah, the the so-called wet markets. So, last question then: uh, practical information for people and their families now uh, looking to stay safe as most of us are working from home and uh, practicing social distancing. And as uh, you mentioned earlier, but what what things can we do? And how should we prepare if we're still working on being prepared uh in this um pandemic?
4: One thing for sure is hand washing, and we have already seen uh an object lesson in how effective hand washing is. Uh influenza has uh, dramatically decreased in the face of people taking precautions about COVID-19. Uh the I think that uh, we should keep in mind that this isn't uh, the end of the world. Um, I just uh, looked up uh, some research this morning on trying to get some idea of how transmissible this is, and I found uh, a a report on tracing household contacts of COVID-19 cases in China. When the outbreak first started, About 5% of household contacts uh, developed uh, the infection, and as the problem became recognizable and uh, responses uh, speeded up, that dropped to uh, less than 3% of even household contacts. The CDC defines a close contact as, uh, as someone who spends at least 30 minutes within two meters or about six feet of, of, a, of a case. Um, so I think that, uh, that this is, uh, not as worrisome as, uh, as we thought, uh, regarding contact with, uh, with family or friends or, uh, shopping, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, but certainly the things that uh, that probably everybody has read about uh, hand washing, covering your cough and sneeze, um, uh, uh, not touching your face, uh, all of those things uh, make a difference in um, the risk of exposure.
3: Well, Tom, thank you very much for the time today. Thanks for helping educate us about uh, this pandemic and about things we can do uh, individually to help uh, prevent the spread of disease. Uh, We appreciate your time.
0: At NAMIC, we're also following the advice of experts to ensure the well-being of our staff while continuing to operate with full capabilities. We have expanded our telecommuting system to allow employees to work from home, and we've implemented a ban on international travel and limited any non-essential domestic travel. We've also postponed the upcoming NAMIC CEO Roundtable event scheduled for next week, NAMIC's board of directors, meanwhile, and our conference boards who were scheduled to meet at that event will now meet virtually. NAMIC will continue to communicate any changes to our upcoming event schedule. For more information, you can check out our new Coronavirus Disaster Resource Center at NAMIC.org. There you'll find state bulletins and directives, the latest news, and all NAMIC member communications related to the pandemic. And that's a wrap for this special episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back on April 1st with more insurance news and interviews. If you have a topic or issue you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to let us know. You can send us an email at uncovered@namic.org. Until next time, I'm Kathy Inus. Have a great day and be safe, everyone.